it's like kind of hilarious because like this does not matter at all. And somehow, somehow everyone seems to miss the joke, right? Which is Elon's just doing shit to stay in the news cycle, right? Elon, just like us, you know? Just like us, just <laughs> at a ridiculous scale. How are you doing? We're down a musketeer, Dave. Oh. I only see your beautiful face. I know. I'm just not, you know, not the same beauty. <laughs> well, hello to all our listeners out there. Welcome to this week's More or Less, the podcast where we go behind the headlines and go behind the things that should be headlines but actually aren't yet. They're that secret. So we are thrilled to be here with you once again. Uh, we've got, I'm Jessica Lesson the founder of the information and half of the less camp here uh, with my husband, Sam Lesson, who I feel obligated to say has published a book in the last week. Sam, would you like to promote your book? Yeah. If you like my screenshot essays, but don't like that there's screenshot essays, you can pay me $9.99 <laughs> and have them in Amazon form. Sam, well, you're a creator book, now. Are, look, I, I, I always love doing these things. You learn so much. Amazon's fucking brilliant. I love how they set up the... <laughs> how hard the was direct- that? Well, here's the thing. Incredibly easy. Incredibly easy. I mean, I've done this before. I did a Just bunch of... Just hard to get paid. Just hard to get paid. I did a bunch of quote-unquote <laughs> books, like, you know, whatever it was, you know, four or five years ago with the, oh, I, this is pretty easy. You just drop notes in and it makes a book. And I will say, good use of AI. My old problem was cover art. No problem. Mm. Right? Just, just, that's a perfect use for AI. What? Did you include like new art? Are there like, is there art with every essay? Or no, is it of course just not. Essay? I'm not going to spend time on that. Just the cover I put in just like modern. I did like, you know, you know, scientists, modest proposals, science fiction. Okay. This Enter. is technically where I'm introducing you. So Sam Lesson, who wrote a book, who also learned, do you want to get to the point about how point hard it is to get paid? Amazing. Yes. Okay. Quick, Love quick. Amazon. So they make it impossible to charge anything between like, 10 and 30 dollars for a book it's hilarious because the way it's set up is you can set it up so you get like 70 percent of the money up to 10 dollars, but then after that you have to get 30 percent of the money so effectively they make it completely irrational to price anything between like 10 and 30 dollars wherever the numbers end up being which is completely hilarious it's also very funny that everyone gives everyone shit for 30 percent take rates and amazon is taking 70 percent on that's Kindle wild. sales. That's wild. That's pretty wild. Also, no to a reminder, you can't buy this thing on your phone. You got to go, you know, it's a pain, but you should do it yeah. anyway. Title Modest Proposals. Is that? You don't have to. You just buy it if you don't like to read screenshots because I'm sick of hearing from you. <laughs> this is a, um, well, what do you call that? It's like a, I'm not even going to think about it, but I can't think of the word, but it's a, um, it's a delightful read. Give it four to five to six, however many stars the Kindle rating system goes up to. <laughs> and to round out uh, our crew this week, we've got uh, Mr. Dave Morin, who I was learning is a very good um, public equities picker. And we're not going to make him reveal his portfolio here, but we were, you know, catching up as, as one does talking about our stock portfolios of which I do not have one. And um, anyway, very impressive, Dave. You've got a nose for this stuff. 
I'm, I'm, well, I do it somewhat professionally on the private side. So yes. Yeah. I guess that's the whole thing is like, how good is somebody on public and private? Um, yeah. Yeah. So Dave Warren, crossover investor extraordinaire. <laughs> and, you know, Brit, well, I was going to say, Brit's probably starting her 19th business right now because that is No, she's what at she's a board doing. meeting. She's at the Life360 board meeting. You know, occasionally, occasionally we go to board meetings, but we, we I think we try to winnow those down. I think I'm going, I don't think I'm on any boards anymore. Am I on any boards? Uh, I don't believe you are. No. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. It gives us more time to discuss what really matters, which are the headlines and the news. And you know, I I spent a fair amount of time trying to pick a focus for this week's episode, and I failed. So we are going to serve, I think, a trifecta of topics here. Um, because there's a lot happening, and I feel like we must discuss all things X. And I believe we have a, maybe a contrarian take on that, but the rebranding of Twitter, you know, you would think that like we had landed on Mars based on the coverage of this thing and the digital journalism press. But um, that aside, it is not another important moment in X's slash Twitter's history. Or not. Um, yeah, or, or not. not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we can cross that one off now. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about a company I think we have overlooked on the pod so far, which is the Google. I still refer to it as that, otherwise known as Alphabet. Um, big week, new president of Google, a title not held um, since Sergey Brin had it. But like, what's going on there? What we think of the company, what we're hearing, we're going to dig into it a little bit. We're going to wrap up with... Um, to all our investors out there or, or investors who love the pod and, and we love you all too. You know, Sam has, has put out this provocation in the world that seed investing is dead. And obviously it's a time of um, real change in the industry, but I think we're going to get into debating that a little bit and, and really what's ahead. And is this just the down part of a cycle or, or something bigger? So um, let's start with X. Sam, your take on the rebranding of the bluebird. I mean, I think Dave and I, we talked about this before, we agree on this. It's like, it's like kind of hilarious because like this does not matter at all. And somehow, somehow everyone seems to miss the joke, right? Which is Elon's just doing shit to stay in the news cycle, right? And so, you know, the guy like, is I think just the grandmaster of this. So you think, you think he's sitting there being like, oh, more articles, please. Do more crazy things, and I'm going to I mean, watch my 47 look, billion dollar investment wither. I don't think I know. I don't know him well enough to know how much is just like the Kanye style natural to who he is versus like engineered. But I think he's just just like doing shit to stay in the cycle and relevant. And look, I I do think it's very funny at the scale he's at and and this whole thing is at. To be like, oh, it literally felt like he's like, oh, shit, I have this like X.com thing on GoDaddy. I'm going to like go into the dashboard and change the DNS record. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to update the MX records. And now my I'm impressed that he he did, didn't expire. There's a whole period of the history where I just accidentally let these things expire, including the information.com. So. Well, you know, look, he's he's obviously a bajillion times better known than us and uh, any of us and, and more successful, at least richer. Um, and um but that aside, it's like these guys are just guys and, you know, they literally just have like domain names like we all do. And they're just going in and changing records. And the funniest part being that he screwed up the MX records. I obviously think really? he didn't do it. 
I didn't hear that. The MX records. And it just broke Twitter because he like didn't change the <laughs> mailing records. And it's like, I've done that. We've all done that. So right? totally. Um, Elon, so, just like us. You know? Just like us, just <laughs> at a ridiculous scale. I mean, I think, but it's like, I don't know. I think like, look, when the press is and everyone is like, is like hemming up, I bet money engagement was way up on Twitter. Yeah. People debating X on Twitter. So like, Again, if that's his goal, he's doing a good job at it. It just seems like a complete nothing burger beyond that. Well, that reminds me, I always felt when, um, you know, the information we didn't sort of cover President or candidate Trump sort of, you know, really much compared to other outlets. But I always felt like they faced this really challenging dilemma, which is how much do you cover someone who just wants to be covered for publicity and is just saying things for publicity? And then Elon kind of started his current phase with Twitter and it, it sort of stirred up for me exactly the same dilemma, which is like, you sort of can't not write about it, but you're playing into it um, at some level. And so I, I don't know, Dave, what do you think? Like, is does he have a grand plan at this point? Incentives drive behavior or chosen incentives, right? And my favorite framework for thinking about this is what I call the WWF uh, framework for public engagement. And, you know, in the WWF, you have either people who have chosen to be a heel or people who have chosen to be a face. And the uh, KPI of a heel is booze. Wait, I, you're going to have to unpack that a little bit for me. I'm not I'm not familiar as much with this framework. Yeah, it's, you know, in the WWF, <laughs> you either heel, but... or are, a, you know, a character that you go out on the stage and you 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 know you talk smack to the ref. You break chairs. You break the rules. You know you're kind of a um, your entire KPI is to get booze rather than getting oh, cheers. Oh, I see booze. Right. And then on the other hand, if you're a face, your goal is to get cheers. And cheers are usually brought to you by you know technical competence, being excellent. It's like you know Tom Brady is like the is the ultimate sort of, you know, what I would think of as like a, a face, you know, and you can go through like the history of the WWF or MMA or any of this stuff. And people take on these characters or the crowd decides which character that they want. And I think Elon largely started off as a face, but somewhere along the way became a heel and became extremely good at it. Um, and this is the same, same goes with Trump's same goes with Kanye. You can kind of break down musicians into this, um, anybody who's engaged in the public debate, and you can kind of really break it down into these two, uh, one side or the other. And there's different ways you can get booze, you know, there's different ways you can get cheers, but Elon just continually does this stuff that gets booze. And, you know, I was, I think Sam, I think we were all at that uh, Dave Chappelle show in San Francisco, which Dave Chappelle is like a classic face. He's an extraordinary comedian that just like keeps people laughing the entire time. And it was amazing, actually, the minute Elon got on stage, the entire stadium filled with booze yeah. for not just like 30 seconds. It was like five straight minutes. And to me, it was like a very physical manifestation of this, um, you know, feeling that feeling in person was like exactly what's going on right now. And people just keep falling for it. Um, he seems to have a real knack for it. Um, so is he sitting there going like, is this what I should do? I don't know. But I do think that his narrative and character has taken on this shape. And mm -hmm. once you're in that shape, that's what the crowd wants. That's what you're going to give them. And, you know, uh, and here's so what another does it mean one for the business. I mean, again, we, we've spent the last couple of weeks being like, Hey, Twitter isn't going to go away, even though threads is interesting. 
we, we, we don't need to come back to threads every episode, but obviously, you know, engagement there has not held up. But like, what does this mean? What do you guys think will happen for, for yeah, for the business? I mean, again, he's still, he's still. I am he's beginning either. to wonder, is this one big troll? <laughs> I mean, for real, like it, it is this, this does feel like a moment where there, there are like moves you can make that are more heel like, um, but this is a big one and it does destroy a lot of brand value. Um, he does seem to have an, uh, you know, a real interest in the letter X for some reason it's in all of his SpaceX model X. It's just it's like kids names too. Right. I mean, yeah, I can't remember. So maybe I it's like just, it's... he really loves the letter. Um, I don't know, but, uh, it does, you know, it does destroy a lot of brand value. Um, it does feel like, I guess here's one other thing I'll say. <laughs> My favorite genre of uh, posts on the internet this week is former Twitter people complaining about how Elon is ruining Twitter. And my kind of internal response to this was like, no, uh, Twitter ruined Twitter and then sold it to Elon. And now Elon can do whatever he wants. You know, as somebody who's sold a social media system to another company that then went and did whatever it wanted with it, it's the price you pay, you know, uh, execute yeah, better next well, time. <laughs> I mean, just remember, he didn't want to buy it. He was suing tonight. But OK, so we basically think it's important to remember he is just in it for the attention. Every next move should be seen through that lens. I mean, I, that, look, maybe I'm not the dead. attention. It's more that that's the character now. Go ahead, Look, I, I actually think he really does think he's going to build the you know meta app of the Western world. I For sure, I believe he, that too. I think he thinks that. Yeah. I think yeah. any thinking person who especially has worked on the internet would take the massive under on that, right, in terms of that being the outcome. Yeah. Um, like, I think that's extremely nearly impossible from the position he's currently in. But I think in the meantime, it's like, it's like, like he has a fun race car that he spent $44 billion on. He's going to do what he wants with it. And like, the funny thing is, is like, look, it depends how you look at these things. On one hand, you're like, okay, $44 billion. That seems like a huge amount of money and noteworthy. And we can all like laugh about it. On the other hand, it's actually not that much money for him. It's caused a lot of headaches. He's had to leverage stock. He's had to. That's almost the point. It's like, if you've incurred all the headaches already, you might as well have fun with it. Right. And the reality, yeah. it's kind of a sunk cost. Yeah, that's kind thing. of my point on the trolls. It's like, this is just fun. Is Elon having fun? I don't know what? if he's having fun. I mean, he seems to enjoy the, the right process. Now, yeah. I do think he seems to enjoy the process of, of being the nuts Twitter. and bolts of building these, <laughs> you know, the entrepreneurial journey. You have to give him credit for that, right? The guy's like an extraordinary yeah. entrepreneur. And look, at the end of the day, like, how much is it really going to cost him? Like, how much equity do you put in? Like $12 billion or something in personal equity? Is yeah, that about something right? like that. Yeah, fine. So he's going to get six back of that in a tax write-off. So it really only costs him six billion dollars, right? But and also the reality his time. Is, I mean, I know the guy doesn't sleep, but I know he's on the factory floor. But he got shit to do. He's got to get the Starship off the launch pad and uh, look, stay off the a, launch pad. He's got. Just, yeah, I'm with you. I just think I know it got, got off the launch pad. pad. It just has to stay way. off. He, Barely. Twitter will, let's put it. Twitter goes to zero. Let's put it. It goes to zero. Which who knows? I bet it does, and I bet some PE firm. It's not going to go to zero. But like. The maximum it's going to cost him in actual like money is like 
maybe three, four billion dollars personally. Maybe so what five. Are you, what are you saying, Sam? You're who saying cares? this is totally rational. Who cares? I mean, you're on Twitter. Like, don't you care about the fate of the service? It is kind of rational. You know, I've been watching Downey's Dream Cars on Max, which is this great show where Robert Downey Jr. like takes all of his cars that he's built over the years and turns them electric. Oh, I thought electric. it was the latest in new kid YouTube creator trend. No, you're it's a great, about, it's a yeah. great show that you know he takes all of his car collection and he turns it electric. And how is this any different, right? Like, you know, I mean, he's collecting things that he likes and working on them and, you know, yeah. hot rotting them and changing them around. And, you know, who I knows? just think it's like my basic view is like, this is a whole fucked up weird situation in culture and history. He ends up in this position. He's sunk costs. He's stuck with it. Right. And when the net, when the, the, the dust settles and he loses and has to write it off personally and get $6 billion in tax credits back and pays $6 billion in equity that he lost. You know, that's 3% of his wealth, right? That's like, I can promise you and just confirm this that I have wasted 3% of my wealth on several things, right? And like, in, yes, this in is history. accurate. I'm Never. sure Dave has too, right? But I'm just like doing the math. It's like, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, so, like, I just think if, you know, the easy way to look at it is like, oh my God, value destruction, all that stuff. But the other way to look at it is like, look, he got stuck with an asset. He's kind of being a dick about it. He's screwing around. It's kind of going to zero. <laughs> But it's not going to go and completely so, to zero. And then just to bring it back to the business before we move on. So we think as an influential platform in society, in the world, in a business, it just sort of withers. It just kind of meh. Doesn't seem like that's what's happening. I mean, it seems like they're actually trying to make a go of it. But whether it, I think Sam said this several times, work, like, does right? it wither like, to zero? Like, ah, uh, I don't know. I think we'll still be using Twitter. I just don't think we'll sure. I think it's a neat app. I, I mean, why would advertise? I mean, I guess if people are using it, right? And so Someone, then... I will, eyeballs. I will tell you this. I'll tell you something funny, Jess. You're probably Please. not going to like me saying this on air, but, you know, we're trying to be oh. flippy here. Is I actually got a hilarious fucking ad on Twitter the other day that talks about who's actually advertising on Twitter at this point. I was Please, like scrolling tell us. Through. Tell us. Yeah. I was scrolling through. And have you ever heard of a website called Seeking Arrangements? <laughs> No. no. What is it? To enlighten it's us. Awful. And it has rebranded itself arrangements. It's still seeking arrangements. And it's advertising on Twitter. That's the quality. It's basically, for anyone who knows what it is, it's like as skeezy as the internet gets. And they are now advertising on Twitter. Like that is who's buying ads on Twitter. Well, but does that make you want to like advertise on Twitter? No. Or be on Twitter, right? Yeah. Look, in the end of the day, Wait, is down. it a porn site, Sam? No, seeking arrangements yes, is this famous. I'm not going to the website because I think don't that would go to be the a website. You'll get cookie I've never annoying. even heard no. of it. This is a website that was started by some MIT kids for wealthy men dating hot women and making <laughs> matches. And like you basically apply as a hot woman or a wealthy guy. And um, I was just shocked. I was like, "What are arrangements?" I was like, "Oh my god, this is the Joe Green seeking arrangements.com website." And like that's now what's getting at. That's like that's who's won the auction in Twitter. <laughs> Wild. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. So let <laughs> us, you know, we like, we devolve to the same place. To, not, I don't want to say too often. That's judgmental, but. Well, the internet is um, for porn. So. <laughs> I thought you were going to make an X joke, but you didn't. But then I gave it to you. So here we are. Um, it is what it is. Okay. So let's talk about Google for a second. So. I got to say, I'm very fond of following this company. It was my first real beat at the Wall Street Journal way back when. Still remember the day I got to tour the Mountain View campus and meet the 77 PR people who I wanted mean, to Brit talk to me there. back then. 
I know we're missing Brett. So um, we got to uh, channel her, but obviously such an important, interesting company. Like big question, whether it's lost its way in being slow with AI, right? Open AI came out swinging, got a lot of um, investor uh, questions, you know, internal sort of mayhem over the strategy, have announced a new strategy, integrating its different groups. It seems like maybe Sundar has gotten some of his mojo back. Um, investors seem less agitated. And then this week we hear that Ruth Porat, the CFO, has been promoted to president and chief strategy officer, which, you know, and it Typical sort of maybe seems normal, but I feel like feels very not normal for Google. Like um, this has not been a place that, you know, has had people in that role. Um, Ruth, who had been at Morgan Stanley before, sort of came in as the Wall Street person. And I'm, you know, deeply sort of curious in why this is happening, if it's so significant. And like more broadly, how are they going to emerge on the AI stage? And like, is their strategy going to work? Are they going to end up just cannibalizing their cash cow and game over? So I want to know what you guys think. Sam, you kind of know Ruth. Do you want to get into that? Well, I, no would be strong, but <laughs> I, she, when she was like an associate at Morgan Stanley, she like, I think worked on my dad's teams back in the day. So she, when I was a little kid, you know, came over to our house a bunch. Um, and her brother, Mark Porat founded General Magic, which became, oh, really? yeah, which then became like became the Android. So there's probably a secret horror story of like the Porat family circling around Google since the early days, given the uh, the brother sister connections in there. Over Wasn't time. General Magic even located in one of the Google buildings in the old days? Maybe. I mean, when General Magic went public, yeah. my dad was so excited about it. He pulled me out of school to go to the analyst briefings at Morgan Stanley. Or maybe it was Smith Barney. One of the two. I don't actually know. But, you know, either way. And um, and yeah, I, I got to ask one of the first questions on that call about privacy. And he was he was over the moon about that pre-internet company. But, you know, it's pretty cool history that then became the Android team. The rest um, is history. The rest is history. Yeah, I mean, General Magic had such a... Uh, extraordinary history actually the number of people but back to ruth in this question jess um dave like and how does like google show up do you think in silicon valley right now among the people you're talking to and all of that well you know okay how do they show up uh you know we just did uh, uh offline we just did a deal um uh, an ai you did a deal yeah. wow yeah, we did an AI-related deal. One, um, the one of the wait, quarter. Wait, wait, wait. A, a seed deal got done in Silicon Valley. Oh, it's AI. Sorry, of course. Well, <laughs> it's it's sort of AI. It has an AI component, um, and they actually have a uh, AI-specific fund, um, which I I wasn't aware of actually until I saw this deal uh, moving across the line, and they came into that. Um, and they offer compute resources um, to AI companies that you know need access to compute. Uh, as well as capital, and this isn't the normal uh, GV team. It's a different team uh, called Gradient. Seventy-seven, yeah, Google investing it's Gradient teams. Um, and uh, you know, the other thing I would say is that I'm actually finding myself using Bard more and more. Um, just the product guy in me is kind of optimistic here on this front. Uh, I think it's like you can't take away from the fact that Google and the Transformers. Um, paper and work around that 
ignited uh, this revolution uh, that we're sort of experiencing with uh, AI right now. And whether AI or not, as we discussed last episode, um, there is going to be a lot of work being done around this over the next many years. And these guys are, I don't know, ground zero, right? And I'm finding myself just using the product more every day. I'm, I'm definitely using... Uh, Bard. But I would are say you using it instead more. of search? Because that's not good. Yeah, I am. I, I really love the new mobile app. Um, the Google mobile app has Bard integrated. And Does it? Their search app? Yeah. And it's really good. The, the interface is really nice. It's arguably the best uh, AI search interface uh, out there right now. And I, I'm really liking it. And that's just coming as a product user. Uh, and yes, so you I, love Bard too. You use it all the time. I did. I did love Bard. And then I realized I love Bard's confidence, but his accuracy is not so good. Yeah. Um, Which I think that's so, the thing impacting all of this though, right? Yes, like we're all kind totally. of like, mm, the accuracy, what? But the thing about Bard is it can interpret the real-time internet. It uh, gives you sources, you know, it's pretty extraordinary when you're doing well, it things can where interpret you know, the real time internet, because it is most likely flouting copyright, um, which is going to come back to bite it too. But, um, I think, I mean, it, they're very interesting. I, I, I also, I, I go up and down on it. I definitely use it. I think like using it to research things, where I don't know the answer to, I end up confirming it with Google. So like that doesn't tremendously help. I think they've done, I mean, I tend to fall in the camp of like, they can be fast followers on a lot of this stuff, but I think there's more internal turmoil than meets the eye. And that's in part why I think Roost promotion is interesting. I think like the it's very classic when things are going well, a thousand flowers bloom. There's not a lot of focus. And Isn't that happening across all of big tech, though, just to kind of push on that? I mean, you've got of all of... Definitely, definitely. All of big tech's done a bunch of layoffs using a bunch of pretty random frameworks to do so. You know, some people used Merit, other people didn't. Seems like Google actually took out a lot of really talented engineers using a, a framework that was kind of yeah, counter it, to its culture. Um, and so, but like you're hearing this, I'm hearing this across the board, you know, Google, Apple, Meta, everybody's got this stuff. Of course. But then when you're growing 7%, right, which they are mm -hmm. in terms of their revenue and not 20 or 30. And, you know, at the same time, like it, it becomes really challenging. You know, we had the information, a, a very serious piece about mental health at Google following three suicides of employees and a bunch of other issues that um, have really led to a lot of difficulty um, for a lot of employees there. And, and I don't think we didn't write that piece because we think that Google is, you know, the only company. Yeah, that was my response with. to that piece. I was excited or it wasn't excited, but I, I was happy to see kind of a, a difficult mental health piece being written. But my question was, I mean, these numbers have to exist across all of the big tech companies, right? So, like, yeah, where, maybe. Where I mean, they? the suicides again. So, two of the three that we talked about had already been public, um, but that does not appear to be happening at other big tech companies. But again, they, the point isn't that they're unusual here, but the, they are an important kind of microcosm. So, I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the it, it's going to be fascinating 
to really watch. And like, they have a lot of competition. And then, right, Dave, for every search you do through Bard, Google gets paid zero dollars probably currently, right? Today. You know, yeah. But even like, what is the model? You're not going to want out of that experience, like 10 ads to click on and they're not going to trick you into you know, clicking on something. So I, I think it's an existential moment. I, I, yeah. What do you I mean, think, I think, Sam? Um, I mean, I've stopped using Bard and OpenAI's as a consumer. Like, I think they're a cool tech and I think they are a cool place to apply the tech, but I don't, you know, I think that was kind of a nice brief moment and maybe when school kids come back, they'll start using it to cheat again. That's fine. But like, I don't think, I think either of them is like, uh, you know, there yet. I could imagine interfaces or futures that might get there. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I feel like what you see now is this thing that in the distant future model, ad model, people, the way people get paid for directing them around the internet and resuming will have to change in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, whether that's a rift that someone can take advantage of and, and hurt Google, I'm not sure. I think Google seems to be very well positioned in all of this. Um, but I'm sure there'll be some turmoil. I mean, there will be, you know, if anything, I feel like, you know, it's, there, if, just use simple models, like, Imagine, you know, the internet has been for a long time and Google and Facebook and all these guys on like a pretty nice clip up upward trajectory. It's like it's like anything else. It's like it's cresting at the top. Yeah. They're not growing so fast. Like there's gonna be a moment and then where the ball goes from there, it can go anywhere once once there's not like a clear, you know, directory uh, direction and, and velocity to the to the move. So I don't know. It just feels like one of those moments where things are drifting around, they could go in different directions, but it's not clear to me that Google's in a terrible place. Um I certainly spend a lot of time on their products. It is notable that the uh, her portfolio includes the other bets portfolio, which that's an yeah. interesting putting the CFO in charge of the innovation <laughs> group is kind of an well, interesting signal. <laughs> I mean, that Ruth's track record to date has largely been pruning those. I mean, Larry created I mean. Alphabet because, you know, he wanted a way to retain all these great people who wanted to go off and do fun projects like Andy Rubin, who didn't, you know, want to work on the core. And he and Larry wanted to go work on these projects. So he kind of spun them all up. And Roof has been systematically shutting them down and centralizing their operations. But, you know, her impact as a leader, I, I think, has been clear through that work. But when you look on the impact she's had overall at the culture of Google and as the company, you know, I, I don't know, like not a lot jumps out at me. And and um, I believe that HR used to report into her and doesn't anymore. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what in this president role, like maybe it's just, you know, she wanted to leave and they gave her a bigger job, right? That would not be the first time this happened in the history of business. But um, I think it... It feels like the kind of move that's trying to stabilize something. Um, and yeah, in that respect, I, I think it's pretty interesting. So, uh, I'm yeah. I'm curious, and this is like a very personal thing. Like, if you're Ruth, and again, I, you know, why would you want that job? Like, she's made plenty of money, right? She's had plenty of impact. Like, I this mean, is you again, have to, you, Sam, there isn't like a job that exists in the world that you want. So I think that you're, you're kind of a challenged person to make that point, although it is it a fair point. It looks kind but of like, like a Secretary of State job to me, too. Like, it's a, it's, it's both, it feels like, make sure that you reduce the other bets even further. It almost looks like a, like, finish your finish the chop job, like get rid of all of these, other, these other bets that are just a waste of our time and energy. 
and yeah. then like go be secretary of state. Like a lot of the rest of the job description in the press release is like policy, external, you know, emissary yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, I imagine like Sundar could pro- Sundar, who last I checked had more direct reports than anyone except Elon Musk in the information org charts. Except hmm. maybe no, there's one other. Nvidia is like 45 or something. Fully so, flat org. Everyone reports to the CEO. Yeah. So I guess like the I see the rationale for freeing up Sundar in theory, but you don't free up the CEO of a company as big as Alphabet um, to do more things. But it, um, yeah, it's kind of intriguing. Also, it, it should be said, you know, she is really one of a very small number of high profile female executives in the Valley who are in the role and, and very active. Um, so can I ask, I mean, I think part of the story here, and I'm curious what you guys think about this is like, you talk about even like Google's talent hoarding over the years and their willingness to do weird shit, pay people too much money and let them work on whatever they want just to retain talent. I actually yeah. think the real story is with the exception of some people that are very hyped up about AI talent specifically in a very narrow sense. It just turns out that like hoarding talent isn't really that good an idea. Cause like, they don't work that hard or produce that much, right? And so it's like one of those things where I think maybe part of the story in Google cutting and like a lot mm. of these cuts in this moment or whatever is like we went through a generation where a whole bunch of people in Silicon Valley got super rich resting investing because there was this theory that they were so, so valuable they shouldn't be let out into the ecosystem or like whatever they did would be amazing. And it turns out that like, you know, the era of innovation in most of these companies is long over, Right. You do need some great people to do the innovation, but most of like the line engineers and people who just kind of like, you know, show up in nine to five and crunch out small projects, they're just not that valuable and you're better off cutting them rather than doing whatever you possibly can to retain them. And the ecosystem is definitely better off if we could have smaller teams doing more innovation too. Which again, AI should actually in rare case help with, right? So I guess like for me, that's kind of the thing I could imagine that's happening at Google Law Places is everyone saying secretly like, oh shit, you know what? we just like did this weird talent hoarding thing and we're willing to do projects that made no sense and sure. people didn't work that hard. And they did all these weird bets. It turns out that was like a huge waste of money. And I liked like, what uh, Gary Tan was saying yesterday. I think he was tweeting about that the Apple calendar app and how bad it is, is proof of this. <laughs> that like, even though you have a trillion dollar or multi-trillion dollar market cap and infinite resources, like, you know, your calendar app should be good. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I, I don't know. For me, you know, it's like I think it, that I think that shift is happening. I wonder, like, how much? I mean, it, the from a financial point of view, you would just say if you're growing at thirty percent a year, you can support behavior that you can't support if you're growing seven percent a year. So I wonder how much is like tied to this economic moment versus hmm. a deep lesson the companies learned. I think they should learn the lesson. I think it's the right lesson to learn. I mean, but, but I think time it, they tell. could have been going at 30% without spending so much money on wasting so much money, right? It's just like, yeah. I guess it just didn't matter when the market only valued growth and didn't really care what people were spending. And like, right. I just think it's like much healthier, right? So well, the cloud we'll see. growth and number like, is pretty wild. I mean, is the, cr- the cloud growth is like 28%. I mean, it's crazy. Actually. Cloud is growing. It's still nowhere. It's not gaining market share, which I don't know how much that really mm. matters. But it um, and and they've set all sorts of goals around that that they're nowhere close to meeting. So, but but it is growing, and okay. that's um, 
That's a big question. Okay, let's move to our third and final topic for the day. Seed investing. I'm the only non-seed investor currently present. Although actually, That's I am, a seed. I am a seed investor. Just, you're just always surrounded Shout by Shout out to seed my portfolio. Investors. Sam, you consistently said, but kind of continue to ratchet up your rhetoric on saying, we're not just at a trough in the cycle. VCs fundamentally changed at the end of the VC epoch, a, a topic we've covered here. And you think specifically seed investing is dead. So why don't you summarize your argument and then we'll sound off and make it today's debate topic. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing I've been saying for a long time is you just have to think about, you know, effectively Silicon Valley from a capital perspective as a factory floor, right? Shit comes in the, in the, the first people touch the product and start making as the seed investors. You pass it to the A investors to do the next step and then the B and the C and the D and then eventually pop it out the back of the factory to the public market and everyone gets paid. Right. And that or you sell you know, it. Or you sell it. Yeah, either everyone, way. Everyone gets paid. But either way, you, you kind of pop it and someone's buying it. Um, and you know, the, the reality is is like this became extremely cookie cutter in the last decade, right? Um, and I think like the rea- you know, that part of it is like the YC thing where like YC had like a playbook, right? And they're like, here's the playbook on how to do venture capital and deal, you know, pitch mm-hmm. to VCs and then get on your little factory line and make your company successful. You know, I think like there became very clear metrics that everyone understood from seed to A and A to B and blah, blah, blah. It was very cookie cutter. You knew what things were worth. It was easy. You know, what happened, obviously, is that the public appetite for things that lost a bunch of money but grew went to zero, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the last bunch, last, you know, year or so. And that kind of backed up the factory. You ended up with all these pieces of almost finished product right, companies like down the line that were way overvalued and couldn't get off the factory line and started expiring. All the people who were working on these late stage things all of a sudden were underwater and didn't want to like have more raw parts come in the front from the C guys or from the A guys. How much of that was because the model broke versus the economy breaking? Well, I think the entire model was built around a version of the economy that wanted a bunch of effectively pretty standardized one, like call it five to $15 billion IPOs that were mm-hmm. tech companies that fit into a model. And so like, it was just like, you were just, we were just delivering them the parts they wanted to tell that story. And when the, when the economy shifted, right. Mm-hmm. And the demand for those things dried up, the whole factory is just completely backed up. And I think you know, the question was, how do you unstick the factory line? And I think that's mm-hmm. everyone, no, this is not an original way to frame it. I think, you know, I'd like to think I was one of the first people to frame it this way. Not but lots original, of come on. Well, I, I it was original to me, <laughs> but like, I'm not sure at this point. I was going to say, anyway, this is economics. It's like next time Bloomberg <laughs> breaks a story we're chasing, I'd be like, but it was original to the information. I mean, you <laughs> The, anyway, never so the point they is, never like, I, I don't. I, I mean, some people might debate me on this. I don't think it's that debatable. What's going? What has gone on? Um, and you know, what I think the question is is, well, when do you get the factory line running again? Right? Like, when does mm-hmm. it get back? You know, when do you work through the inventory? When is you ready for new seed deals and new pricing for Series A comes out and all that stuff? And my answer has gone from you know, eighteen months, uh, twelve months ago, I said eighteen months. Now I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe never. Um, and what changed? I, like, what have you seen? Yeah. Besides your um, unabiding love for all things AI, like what is, um, that was a joke. Yeah. I mean, Sam, when we were, uh, skiing a couple months ago, we had a conversation about, uh, what the fed was doing and, um, you know, what's going to happen once we get through this regime of, you know, whatever the fed's going to do and we get back to a, you know, quantitative easing or whatever we're going to call it in the future. 
obviously we're not going to go back to the prior regime, but there will be some pressure, remo you know, removed from the system. We'll move back towards an inflationary environment. Like something will happen when that happens. So it's a longer conversation. This is a long. My basic view is that the there was a brief moment where people were excited about these kind of growth uh, growth stories, specifically coming from tech, and people were willing to give people the benefit of the doubt of profitability someday and down the line. Da da da. And I think what's happened is we've seen that we're there. The winners in tech are obvious winners: the Facebook, the Googles, the Amazons, whatever. They're, they're just like crushingly large. They're in a different, literally, universe than all the other stuff that VC is churning out, right? So obviously, if you can get invested in the stuff that's going to be in the different universe, go for it. And every once in a generation, you'll have those. But this, I think the entire seed through late stage capital markets last 10 years organized themselves around the premise that you could kind of churn out unicorns, right, at some predictable clip that would be valuable. And I think what you realize is you churned out a bunch of companies that are worth less than capital invested, that are unable to ever make a profit or never will, or going to get stuck on people's books. And even on a more personal level, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're seeing this too. And you know, as I've pointed out many times, it's like if you had a business you own and operate that does 50 million top line with 30% margins, you're fucking psyched. Totally. Right? That's a great... If you have a venture back company that does that, you are screwed, right? Yeah. Like you're never going to get liquidity. There's no market for it. So I think even in terms, like I think with the demonstration of what non-iconic tech companies can do, is there a model that turns these out? I think has proven pretty clearly to be false. What, what right? about it just becomes a less good business? What about it exists? What, what about sort of seed investing or this kind of venture investing? Just, just becomes a less good business, but no, it's no, still be, good. Oh, to or, be clear, I, what, I, what I've said when I say seed investing is dead, and the whole—I don't actually mean that like no one's writing seed checks ever. I think people will write seed checks. I just think that the businesses, instead of it being we're going to write a seed check for eighteen to twenty-four months to get you the metrics and the proof points to go get a Series A, uh, yeah. and once in the Series A, you're going to get the Series B. And then maybe yeah. like, that's going to go away. Instead, yeah. it's going to be, hey, you want to start a company? That's sweet. Here's a seed check. It's probably going to be pretty expensive. I'm willing as a seed investor to hold that company forever. And I'm going to be psyched because it's profitable. It's like using the platforms that exist in leverage. It can get really big now. It like doesn't need a bajillion expensive engineers. But wait, right? why, like, if, these... why would you and want then, to hold it forever? Your dividend, like how, is, I, how are you getting I'm paid? I'm going to have, I mean, you, I think as a seed investor, you have to be comfortable. The business is a good business that is going to work on its own without the pipeline behind it effectively. Yeah. And then guess what? Because tech platforms are sweet and a frictionless economy is sweet, those things actually can sometimes grow super fast. And the winners might actually still get public, but they'll go public as super profitable, fast-growing companies that make sense, not as money losers with too many engineers that are too expensive that have been financed by six rounds of private capital. Yeah. And like, here's another thing. In our back channel, we were talking about this um, on the more or less back channel on, on WhatsApp. Um, and somebody said something similar to what uh, the way I've been thinking about it today in the modern <laughs> in the modern epoch which is you know we're writing checks to a lot of folks who are second time founders third time founders that are going to take the knowledge um, that they've gained through the school of hard knocks and going after areas of the economy that are difficult like Sam's saying real businesses to be built real innovation you know um, we're not doing as much of it for some people are doing defense stuff you know there's hard big 
heavy industry. Uh, you know, Sam, you and I did a lot of stuff around rockets and satellites and, you know, um, drones. I did zipline years ago, um, you know, which all are in this realm of weird ideas that have, you know, uh, not a lot of people interested in them, right? Like, and this was like my whole thing during this entire 2010s era. And Sam, you and I spent a lot of this time together investing that, you know, in that whole era, we were doing a lot of pretty weird stuff. Um, even though there were a lot of people doing what you're describing, you know, there was a lot of SaaS factory investing going on, right? But my point of view was always like, you need to be in areas that are completely non-consensus, yeah. that are, you know, super weird. People think they're strange, stigmatized, you know, and this, mm -hmm. this comes back to, you know, way early in my career conversations that I had with Steve Jobs around how to think about where to spend your time and what to think about, like just be in radically weird places, talking to people about technology, trying to figure out where not just one technology, but maybe multiple weird technologies are intersecting and being willing to be the funder of that world. That yeah. was what investing was. I mean, Sam, I, I think I remember in like 2017 walking into a partner meeting with you and I think I was bemoaning like whatever happened to venture capital, you know, we're just, we live in a world of capital these days and there's no more venture left. Right. And when you go read the original books about venture capital, like the word venture came from guys that were literally calling it, I think Arthur Rock was calling it adventure capital in the very actually, beginning. You know where adventure capital first shows up? I'm actually, I, I, this is part oh, of the value of my book you No, Communist Manifesto. Really? Marx goes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. goes on and on about the adventure capitalists and how the adventure capitalists. Oh, wow. At least that's the first place historically I've ever seen. I ever saw it. Yeah. And, the, and maybe um, that was where it came from. But I do know if you read that, there's a great book. Um, I'm forgetting what it's called. It's about venture capital. Um, it came out a couple of years ago. Very well written. But, you know, it details this. We'll put that it, it in all the show started, notes. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. It all started with this. It That's where the word venture came from. And Sam, you and I, we've talked about this for years and years and years and years, just that like yeah. the, the expedition, the exploration, the, you know, the, the being willing to raise the money to get the ship to go, go off across the sea, you know, like it took, what, what's the story? It took Christopher Columbus something like 10 years to raise the capital. And then the journey took like six months, you know, it, it, it kind of goes to show that like the people willing to fund these things so are always very narrow. And that's like, that's true seed investing. Well, I agree. I mean, I think, the, but I think there's like two camps to this. One is like the missions that take a fuck ton of capital in a weird market, right? And th that's actually not something that no. I do, but yeah. like that is a that's very viable. And also, is and that is AI going to change that? Or are there going to be fewer of those? Or are they still no? No. Okay, we're still going to need a lot of capital. Okay, just checking. Um, yeah, defense is expensive. Um, and then I think anything there's with like, atoms is expensive, right? Like I'm working then, on an atom heavy project right now. I'm actually <laughs> two of them. And so anything with atoms. atoms, you have to move. Yeah. Atoms. Dave, have you seen Oppenheimer yet? <laughs> no, I can't wait. I'm very excited. Was that excited. a great yeah. joke? Was that yeah. a great no, joke? And then yes, I it think is. On, great joke. on the, on the seat side, like, look, I mean, Dave, you're right. We, I, I, we were talking on the back channel about the fact that like, when I look at the investments I've made that I'm most proud of, that I think either have returned a shitload of money or will, they're all super low valuation deals, right? Yep. And it's not just because that you get better multiples off that, obviously, if they work. The actual more important bit is the reason they're so cheap is because no one else wants to do them yep. because they're yeah. too weird. And so so where do, and I thought it was interesting in the back channel 
that people were kind of like, really, Sam? Like, that's how you think about this? And I, I was sitting there reading the back channel going, yeah, that's why it's so cheap. Nobody else wants to do it. Like, that's the whole point. Yeah. Like, you know, like, how, how did we lose the narrative on this over the last 10 years? Well, it's because, the, it's because the investing model, like, it's way easier to just seek AUM and a cookie cutter model. Yes. Like, venture capital does not scale. That's just the honest reality of it, right? And so, like, it did scale. The factory was a beautiful 10 years of money making, right? Um, you know, well, low, low, low multiple money making. Lower multiple. Yeah. Um, Lower. Okay. So where does that, Sam, I'm going to give you the last <laughs> word on fine. this. We did fine. So much money. Others didn't make money. What, um, so where does this leave venture? Seed is not dead, but it's fundamentally changed. Uh, it, it's going to be pushed the to the fringes. The, the version of C we had in the last decade is over. The capital factory is over. It's, someone will claim it back in some way, shape or form, but it is dead. Um, investing will still exist. There will still be seed investors. There will be still be seed, good seed opportunities. There's still stuff we like and look at. Like yeah. we intended to come hang out with us in the weird, fire. weird promise yeah. land of strange ideas. Okay, so yeah. let's put it to a more or less. Why see demo day? How about this? Why see demo day is dead? No, oh, that died years ago. That's an easy <laughs> That's one. True. What? Um, so are you more or less seed investing? Me? Yeah, less. Like I, I suppose. As a professional seed investor, I say I'm equal seed investing. Just. <laughs> I'm, I'm anti. No, you, you have to make the unbiased. I think we need a new name for it. I'm going back to adventure capital. I mean, we adventure capital. Yeah, we, adventure, we had a sidecar I'm, fund in our last fund that we literally named adventures. And so, you know, to me, it's like I'm back to adventure write about capital. The naming of these funds, it's just absurd. But that's a different topic. Okay, so Dave, you're 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 more adventure capital, less seed investing. That's what in the past seed 10 years. was for the last ten years. Yeah, I mean, I just think okay. that Sam's right on this. I'm say more uncharacteristic of myself didn't raise a dime of venture capital and would doubt I ever will but I I think there is going to be capital seeking interesting new things and that this industry will will survive and thrive in different forms so I'm I'm more uh on this one just to keep it interesting and uh yeah we should just rename seed investing x investing then it, then it totally. will survive. Totally. That makes All so right. much sense. X investing. X meta platform alphabet. Heard it here first. Um, great. Let's see what's that one. Well, great to chat with you guys. We have a lot. Look, Sam, you were saying something? I, was like, I think, was it Microsoft or Facebook that has the patent for my, for using the term X in a finance Microsoft. Context? Oh, so Microsoft will sue us for for X investing. I don't think Microsoft's <laughs> going to sue. You never know. You know, maybe we'll sue them over uh, open AI copyright things. It's it's a mm. brand new game. We have information just broke a story that they hired a new IP. No, sorry. Open AI hired a new IP lawyer who used to work in Microsoft. So go figure that one out. Okay, gentlemen, on with your days. Go forth and invest. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. See you guys. Bye. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less, at Dave Morin, at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.